0: You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit LanceLambert.org and follow us on Telegram to receive all of our updates. As we mentioned last week, we are currently in a season of podcasts themed around glory. This is all in preparation for a new book we will be releasing at the end of February called The Glory of God. If you'd like to stay updated about the status of this book release— Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Telegram to receive our updates. In the last episode, we listened to Lance share how God's purpose from the beginning was that man would be a vessel of his glory. In this week's episode, we'll hear Lance share from Ezekiel chapter 1 about the first vision of Ezekiel and how each part of the vision has a lesson for us concerning the glory of the Lord. Let's listen to the glory of God and his people
1: you will turn to Ezekiel chapter 1, the first chapter of Ezekiel, we will read one of the most complex passages in the Bible. But uh, don't, um, don't just uh, uh, turn off, especially you younger ones, uh, when you read what is here it seems to be so uh, complicated and so involved we can't possibly in the little time we have this morning uh, really uh, go into it all but in our times of prayer uh, uh, someone was given this uh, chapter and yet I think it has meant quite a lot to many and um, I think it would be good if we were to look at it and see if we can just get one or two underlying principles but it means we'll have to read uh, it all now we'll read from verse four And I looked, and behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with a fire enfolding itself, and a brightness round about it, and out of the midst thereof, as it were, glowing metal, out of the midst of the fire, and out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one of them had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's uh, foot. And they sparkled like burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They went every one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, they had the face of a man, and they four had the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four had also the face of an eagle. And their faces and their wings were separate above. Two wings of every one were joined uh, one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went every one straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went. They turned not when they went, As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches. The fire went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth beside the living creatures, for each of the four faces thereof. The appearance um, of the wheels and their work was like unto a beryl, and they four had one likeness, and uh, uh, and their appearance and their work was, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in their four directions. They turned not when they went. As for their rims, they were high and dreadful, and they four had their rims full of eyes round about. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went. Thither was the spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up beside them. For the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, The wheels were lifted up beside them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. And over the head of the living creature there was the likeness of a firmament, like the terrible crystal to look upon, stretched forth over their heads above. And under the firmament were uh, were their wings straight, one toward the other. Every one had two which covered on this side, and every one had two which covered on that side their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, like the voice of the Lord, a noise of tumult, like the noise of a host. When they stood, they let down their wings. And there was a voice above the firmament that was over their heads. When they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was a likeness as the appearance of a man upon it above. And I saw, as it were, glowing metal, as the appearance of fire within it round about, from the appearance of his loins upward and from the appearance of his loins and downward. I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness round about him. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, as I just said, this is perhaps one of the most complicated, complex, bold visions in the whole of the Bible, and we have very little time this morning, and so we will not be able to go into it very deeply. But there are one or two things which I believe that, uh, as a company of the Lord's children, we could learn a lot from, and which we could just draw out and underline. Now, the first thing is this. Whatever we may find difficult about this vision, it is all the glory of the Lord. We are expressly told that in the last verse. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And you will notice that, as it were, above these wheels, above the living creatures, in their midst was a throne. And upon the throne someone sat. This was the glory of the Lord. Now that's the first thing I think we all ought to understand. Uh, That these wheels, wheels within wheels, these wings and everything to do with the wings, these hands under the wings, these straight feet, uh, these four faces, they're all to do with God's glory. Every part of the vision has lessons for us concerning the glory of God. The Lord. Now, we have been called to the glory of the Lord. You will remember right at the very heart of the gospel we preach, there is this word, Romans three twenty-three. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now we have another wonderful word. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Only believers can say that. That's Romans 5. We rejoice in hope of the glory of uh, the Lord. And then we have this wonderful word in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you unto his eternal glory, In Christ, after that ye have suffered a little while, shall himself perfect, establish, strengthen you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. So here we've got something One, It's the God of all grace who's called us to his eternal glory in Christ. We may not understand all this vision. We may not understand all that it means. But the fact of the matter is that we have been called to his eternal glory in Christ. Now, I believe there's a point we often miss, in Christ. So all this glory to which we are called is in Christ. The God of all grace, who has called you unto his eternal glory in Christ. There is a lot of work to be done. After that, ye have suffered a little while. Uh, Himself perfect, establish, strengthen you. All to do with this being called to eternal glory in Christ. Now, um, uh, if you turn to Revelation 21 and uh, verse uh, 10 and 11, we read of the holy city Jerusalem coming down coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like unto a stone most precious. So here we have something uh, again clear. Evidently, this glory is to do with the church. It is in Christ and it is not just a personal thing. We're not all just so many saved units. There is a vessel for the glory of God. A vessel in which and through which the glory of God is to be manifested. Now this is what Ezekiel was seeing. The vessel which should have been the vessel for the manifestation of the glory of God amongst the nations had sinned. It had fallen away. Is departed from the truth. And the whole of Ezekiel is judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. (coughs) Something terrible had happened to this vessel, Israel, this people of God, uh, that should have been the vessel for the manifestation of the glory of God amongst the nations, the vessel for taking the salvation of God, and the knowledge that God would give His glory again to fallen man through the redemption which is in the Messiah. But uh, what can we say? Uh, We can understand from here that it's not just a question that we are so many units, there's individuals that are saved. Of course, that's true. And then it's just a question of each one of us being glorified. Evidently, there is some work to be done in our lives. There's some building to be done to our lives. And this is what God showed Ezekiel. He showed him a vision of the glory of the Lord departing from Israel. And where did it depart from? Out of the temple. It went out of the sanctuary and out of the gate of the court and away it went. And the wonderful thing is that at the end he sees the glory of God coming back. Only if you read in those last chapters from Ezekiel 40 you will find it's a new temple. A new house of God which is built. built, And out of it goes a river of life. And oh, so much more, which we can't stay with. But it's all to do with this glory. Now, of course, isn't this what the Lord has been saying to us in uh, Isaiah chapter 60? Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. What a wonderful word of grace. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee Oh, upon whom? Upon sinners saved by grace. But just wait. Uh, it says, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. Manifestation of glory. Something seen is not just an invisible work. Uh, uh, we don't want to be unkind, but sometimes when we see some crabby old Christians, you wonder where the glory is. The glory of the Lord shall be seen upon thee. This is the word of God. The glory shall be seen upon us. Something of this old earthen vessel will be swallowed up in glory. And uh, we read again in the same chapter. And in verse 13. uh, The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee. The fir tree, the pine, the box tree together. To beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. We know the place of his head is glorious the enthroned head of the church, that's glory. But I will make the place of my feet glorious. That is where the body is, where we are, joined to Christ. And of course, if we turn uh, again to the New Testament, we have it or in other uh, connections. We have it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're told how this happened. We all, with unveiled face, there is the secret, unveiled face, nothing between us and our vision of the Lord. Unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. From glory to glory, even as from the Lord the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's work to conform us to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's from glory to glory. From glory to glory. Uh, Again, if you turn to Colossians, these are all well-known verses. Maybe some of you are not so familiar with them. Colossians 1, verse 27. To whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Now um, really this is uh, this isn't just in one of you, Christ in you personally only, but it, as you see in some of your continental versions, uh, we can't say it so easily in English, um, it is Christ among you, in you, 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 you and you. who is the hope of glory? Christ in you, I will make the place of my feet glorious. And the Apostle Paul is so bothered about this, he says in the preceding verses that he is suffering. There is something of the sufferings of Christ which have been left over to him to fill up, he says, for this very reason, glory. What's wrong with us Christians? And so many of us believe in a kind of static experience, just floating along, trotting along to meetings, listening to a word, and going back. Is that Christianity? It's not the Christianity I find in this book. This book speaks about suffering a little while, being perfected, being strengthened, being perfected. This book speaks of growing up in all things into Christ who is the head, from whom the body fitly framed and uh, uh, joined together by that which every joint supplies, increaseth with the increase of God. This book speaks of being transformed into the same image. And what does he say here in the succeeding verses? Whom we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man. Now there is the personal side. In all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Whereunto I labor also striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Well, now, uh, if we go on any further about this, marvellous as it is, there will be nothing else from uh, the vision of Ezekiel. Uh, Although we may well have enough uh, uh, to think about in just this matter of the glory of the Lord. Um, uh, What what can we say? Uh, Just simply this. That you and I have been called to His eternal glory, God's eternal glory in Christ. And it is the God of all grace who's called us and who watches over the work of conforming us to the image of His Son. Now back to the book of Ezekiel. And what can we find about this vessel? This vessel which we have described here in the most amazing terms. Uh, There are, of course, a number of things we uh, could talk about. Uh, But, uh, first of all, um, I want you just to notice um, their faces. Now, in Hebrew, the word face and presence is the same. And a person's face is their presence. I've always suspected that uh, uh, the Hebrews were good psychologists in this matter. A person's face is their presence, whether we like it or not. And that's why many of us uh, um, uh, produce a mask-like face. That's a fact. Uh, we are so afraid of giving something away by our faces, so we tend to create a, a kind of uh, give-nothing-away uh, expression. Uh, but our faces are our presence. And certainly, symbolically, in Scripture, um, the face of a person is their presence. The face of God is the presence of God. There's only one word in Hebrew for face and presence. Uh, But here, we have these faces, four faces. Of course, we see these four faces in the Lord Jesus, don't we? We have them in the four gospels, the lion, Matthew, the, the ox, Mark, the eagle, John, the man, Luke. But don't you think that in not quite the same way, but in a very real way, that's what the Lord wants to produce in us. We are kings and priests unto God. Now, you see, the lion has always been the symbol of royalty, kingship. And the ox has always been the symbol of service, lowly service, sacrificial service. It was the beast of sacrifice. bull. the ox. And the man, well, are we not the new man in Christ? And the eagle, are we not made partakers of the divine nature? Filled and empowered, indwelt, anointed by the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that you have here four features which we have to uh, uh, reflect upon, meditate upon. These four features must be found in this vessel of glory. God, from the very beginning, has looked for a man who can have dominion. The very first thing he said, uh, one of the very first things, was certainly in the first sentence, that he said to Adam was, have dominion, subdue. And you see, God's whole thought in man is not that he should just be a a kind of craven creature, who's sort of always grovelling, always sort of living in the shadows, always conscious of what he can't do, but his thought is that in union, With the risen Christ, he should be a king. King. He's got a dignity. He's got a majesty. And the one thing God gives to the human being is dignity. We human beings don't often give to one another a dignity, but God gives to every human being a dignity. And when he saves us, oh, how he treats us. Now, God's whole thought is that as the church, we should rule. We should rule. We should execute the will of God in the place of prayer. We should get things done. We should touch things. It's not just a question of supplication, of inquiry. That's another aspect. But we should get things done. We should go out, as it were, in faith and possess the land. That is kingship. That is kingship. Taking things for God. Seeing the will of God is a thy will come. Uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. That's our job. It's as heralds of the kingdom. We have been made kings unto God. Now, I can't give you all the scriptures, but I think most of you will know. And if you want them, you can come and ask me and I'll give them to you. We're also priests. We are to be those who um, uh, uh, represent God and are in the service of God. And the heart of that service is sacrifice. We cannot get away from it. All this idea of service which makes the servant of the Lord something special so that in some way or another you know you can be something is is a denial of the service we see in our Lord Jesus Christ. He became a nobody that we might become somebodies. And that is the secret of real service. Not to lord it over people, not to be something uh, a special, but to be able to, um, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, the empowering Holy Spirit, to lay down our lives for one another. That is service. And that's why we have so many battles. All oh, the battles we have over this thing. And it all comes down to the question of whether we're prepared to lay down our lives for the brethren. And I must say this, there can be no building of any sanctuary, there can be no building of the house of God, there can be no building up of the body of Christ without sacrifice. If you think the church is just a place where you show off and where you can exhibit yourself and exhibit your gifts and express yourself and and contribute, you've got a, a false idea of the church. That's not the church. And that's why some of us have such problem over contributing. Because underneath it all it lies pride, and we're so afraid. We're so afraid of making a mistake. Pride is the root of it. Because we're so afraid that having made a mistake, you know, we've lost face in front of everybody. Or, 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 or we might be shut up by one of the brethren, and that would be even worse. That's our service. Service is really that we contribute because we love the Lord and we love one another. And the church is not just somewhere where we find a, an outlet, a kind of satisfaction, but it is uh, the place where we uh, lay down our lives for the others in order that God may have an inheritance. It's not our inheritance, but his inheritance. Well, that's another point. And then, of course, there's this question of the man. Well, uh, do we need to say more about this? What a need there is for safeguarding humanity. We are not spiritual machines, and God never made us spiritual machines, and if He had made us spiritual machines, He could have saved Himself a lot of trouble. He could have made made us a kind of uh, uh, soulless, uh, uh, inhuman technicality, but He made us human beings. And the most wonderful thing about the Lord Jesus is His humanity. It breathes through all four Gospels, even John. Even where we see him as God, we see him also as man. And there is nothing artificial about the Lord Jesus. There's nothing just like no machinery in his nature. There's compassion. There is an involvement. you Remember that lovely story of when the leper came and uh, beseeching him to heal him. Jesus said, of course, and touched him. Mark makes a lot of that, that he touched him. And in that one touch of the Lord Jesus upon a diseased, leprous, infectious body, you have a picture of true humanity. A heart that cares. A heart that goes out. A heart that is normal. There is nothing as normal as the humanity of the Lord Jesus. Now, I think we have to be careful that. And then, of course, there is the eagle. What does the Bible say? It says, thou shalt mount up with wings as an eagle. That is, we shall soar into the heavens. as we become partakers of the divine nature. We, we, we have a, an inward knowledge of God, and more than that, the marvellous thing is this. Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. Something's happened inside. Well, there are so many other things about this uh, vision. What more can we say? What about the wings? Now, here's an interesting thing. The, The emphasis about these wings is more to do with covering than flying. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, the the natural uh, reaction of most of us would be that the wings, of course, are obviously for flying. But if you read very carefully this whole chapter, and indeed what the Bible has to say about wings, you will find to your amazement that the wings are more for covering than they are for flying. Only two were used for flying. Others were for covering. And, uh, you know, you've got all kinds of scriptures. I think of... um, uh, uh, um, Psalm 91, uh, verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then verse 3, uh, uh, verse 4, He will cover thee with his pinions, and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. Psalm 17, verse 8, Psalm 17, verse 8, Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings. You've got it all the way through Scripture, being hid under the shadow of his wings. It, it, it speaks of being covered. Now, I believe there is nothing more important when God is doing a work in our lives, individually or corporately, than to be covered. Now, not everyone understands this matter. But we need covering. We need covering. And these wings speak, they speak of being, to be, being able to soar upwards and at the same time be covered. And the, the, the devil's whole plan is to get us uncovered. Remember, he was the anointed cherub that covereth before he fell. There's so much mystery in this matter of covering. I think I've seen more Christians in my short life and ministry. I've seen more Christians go off the rails through getting uncovered than any other uh, 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 cause. We need to be very, very careful. I can't understand this brazen attitude that some have uh, over these things. They don't count. Their attitude is, if I don't see it, it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, We should have the fear of the Lord, and there are many things we don't understand. Remember that in the old days there was an offering not only for sins which we knowingly committed, but which we unknowingly committed. Sin is still sin, even when we unknowingly commit it. And so there's the covering, covering of the wings. And you notice that these wings, they join each other, they touch each other. And it, it, it speaks of fellowship. Doesn't it also speak of covering also? Love covers a multitude of sins. It's not that we are partakers of one another's sins, but we don't delight in exposing one another's sins. We cover. We cover. Love covers a multitude of sins. Our wings should touch. What a need there is. Don't you think if the Lord's glory is to really be manifested in this vessel, if we are to be really part of this eternal vessel for the manifestation of the glory of God, this bride of Christ? Is there not very great need for us to understand very much about fellowship? And what is this matter of wings being joined? Two things. First, in every fresh move forward, in all movement, all progress, all activity, we need fellowship. Let us be rid of the kind of idea that we just get it from God and do it. We need f- We don't want the direction of the church. The church is not here to direct people as to what to do. The church is here to be the security of people. We test out the way of the Lord. We believe that God has said so and so and so and so. We test it out in the church. Is this so? Is it so? you understand? Very, very important. And it's certainly important in all the goings um, of the church, the ways of the Lord in the midst of his people, that we should test these things out together and move forward. Wings touched. Touching. And I think it also means the need to love each other. Really to care for each other. Wings touching. Not only in movement and activity, but even when we're stationary. There, these wings are touched, fellowship. We do need fellowship. May God help us also in this matter. You notice that under each of these wings there's a hand. You wonder what the hand is for? I think the hand is for taking. Hand is always for taking, isn't it? What else is a hand for? Thought about it? Think. Yes, someone says, giving. But you can't give what you haven't taken spiritually, you take, you give, you take, you give. Isn't it interesting? It's right under the wing, covered. So all our taking and giving must be covered in Christ, in Christ, not sentiment, not sentiment, but in Christ. Hid in him, as it were. I think this is an important point. Many of you took a new step last weekend. Now you're being tested. Well, thank God for that. If God is testing you, or let's put it this way, if the enemy is breathing down your neck and the Lord is allowing it, which is how he does it, um, you can be quite sure the step you took was right. The enemy is not the least bit interested in in a wrong step. Once you've taken a wrong step, you'll have a lovely rosy feeling and you'll be just left to go further and further into it. But once you've taken a right step, you can be sure as if all of hell is stirred up, frightened, to try and push you back. Remember the wings. It was your hand that took. Remember the wings. They're to, ha- they're to cover you. He that abideth under the shadow of the Almighty, he that dwelleth in the secret places of the uh, Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Remember that wings. He shall cover thee with his wings. Well, now look, our time's are really gone, uh, I think, we'll have to uh, finish. Uh, there's so much, really, in this. Uh, hands. Uh, don't forget this, the hands are there to take. In this matter of the glory of the Lord, there's nothing in us naturally that ministers to the glory of the, of the Lord, and there's nothing in us naturally which will get us anywhere in this matter of the glory of the Lord. We have to have hands that take from him, and from him, and from him, and from him, and take and give, and take and give, and take and give. Freely ye have received, freely give. And in the measure in which you give, you shall receive again. So remember the hands under the wings. And then lastly, what about these wheels? Now these wheels were wheels with, within wheels. And will you notice that whatever happened, they went straight. They never, took a, they, they never wobbled. Oh, what a sadness there is about Christian work. How it wobbles. It sort of totters along like a hedgehog. Those of you who've seen a hedgehog, like, sort of, sort of just teeters along. And it, it can't walk straight. This went straight forward, these wheels. Now, what does this mean? Because the wheels speak of function, don't they? We all know that we only have to have one little wheel jammed in a whole thing upon which everything's depending on the wheels, and the whole thing stops. Every one of us has something to contribute to. Every one of us. We're all in the, this work of God. And uh, uh, the enemy's thing is just to get one wheel stop, to stop. But uh, perhaps uh, we ought to say this, that uh, one of the reasons why the wheels stop is often lack of vision. We don't know where we're going people have no idea, if we were to say to them, what do you think is the object of the, of, the, of what the Lord is doing in our day and generation? Oh, they would say, um, um, power, power. Really? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Or someone else would say, oh, it's that we might each one have experience. And someone else says, no, no, no. It's that we should be gifted. We should have gifts. And someone else says, no, no, no. Um, It's that we should get people saved. And someone else says, no, I don't think so. I think that we should go deeper into uh, what is ours in Christ. Now, all these things are right. But every one of these things is a means to an end. The end is this vessel. The end is this house of God, this glory of the Lord manifested in Christ. That's the end. And if we could all see that, we would go straight. (laughs) Our problem is that very few people have got any idea of objectives, so they wobble. Some are trying to go this direction, some are trying to go that direction. There's an intolerable strain in the machinery. The wheels soon stop because some go into reverse, while others are going forward. And so we get terrific jams in the Lord's work and these intolerable strains where just because we lack vision we don't see where we're going but if we were to get this clear that we might go absolutely straight and who is going to get us to go straight the spirit of god for it says wherever the spirit of god went the wheels went it was the spirit of life as it were in the wheels that did it how we need i think to understand all this uh, lastly in Ezekiel 10 um, we have it again the whole uh, thing it's a terrific matter of uh, of um, verse 11 it speaks of them um, Uh, We'll we'll read verse 12. And their whole body, and their backs, and their hands, and their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes round about, even the wheels that they forehad. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. Now isn't it strange that Ezekiel actually makes a point of this. He says, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. In other words, they were not there as an ornament. They were functioning. He heard this amazing hum of all the wheels whirring in conjunction with each other. Oh, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if, if, if heaven could say about us as a people, they are whirling wheels. Great hum as all the wheels are moving together. Only the Spirit of God give such harmony uh, in his work. What, were the, what are the eyes? Here again is something uh, interesting in, in uh, uh, Hebrew outlook. Eyes speak always of intelligence. And um, I don't want to make you all afraid, but by looking into eyes, you ought to be able to see intelligence. Or let's put it this way, you can see the amount of intelligence. <laughs> <coughs> At least that is the Hebrew um, outlook uh, on eyes. They, are, they speak, they symbolize intelligence. And these wheels were full of eyes. Indeed, in Ezekiel says later, the whole vision, every part of it was full of eyes. Spiritual intelligence. There's nothing so irritating or aggravating, uh, I think, in, in the natural world than a dim person. Uh, Such people are so stubborn, so obstinate, so entrenched in their own ideas. You can talk and talk and talk and talk to them, but it doesn't make a single difference. I think it's even worse when it's in spiritual things. Now, there's no excuse for it in spiritual spiritually. We have to be kind to one another on the natural level. We haven't all got the same amount of intelligence. Uh, we haven't been gifted with it, let's put it that way. But spiritually, every one of us can have all the intelligence in this world. Our intelligence is wholly due to the work of the Holy Spirit. He can make us sensitive. So that we hear the voice of God. And that's where intelligence in spiritual things begins. Hearing. You can read and read and read. You can hear words and words and words. But it's only when you hear the voice of God that you become intelligent spiritually. So we need very much such intelligence. We need the kind of intelligence which means that we see. Spiritually we see. We understand. We understand what the will of the Lord is. May God help us. As a people, as individuals, we have been called by the God of all grace to His eternal glory in Christ Jesus. May God by His Spirit apply this to all our hearts. Where the wheels have got jammed, may they get unlocked, unjammed and begin to move in conjunction with others. Where wings are no longer touching, may they be, may they come back to touching where there's no mounting up as uh, the wings of an eagle into the heavens, may we know again what it is to be with Christ in heavenly places, seated with him. May we know what it is to be moving with God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit enabling us to go forward. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, this vision, Lord, is truly something beyond us naturally. So complex, so involved, so intricate. But Lord, thou canst by thy spirit begin to make things plain to us. And thou canst, Lord, begin not just to make them plain, but to speak in such a way that these things become flesh and blood. They become, as it were, our experience. Lord, we commit ourselves to Thee. May we know something in our own experience of all these things of which we have been speaking. And Lord, we pray that above all that glory of Thine may so fill us more and more as a people that, dear Lord, the sense of Thy presence may be the one great factor in all our life together. May this be so not only of ourselves here, but of all thy people everywhere. Oh, that, Lord, it might be known that the living God is dwelling in the midst of his people. We commit ourselves to thee, dear Lord, for the working out of thy word, praying that thou wilt blot out anything that is untoward, anything which is, Lord, not of thyself, and keep alive in our hearts all that is. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. May you know the calling of eternal glory that is in Christ. May you rejoice in hope of the glory of the Lord. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.